Hello, it's Adrian here from Arcade Zack, and on today's podcast, I am joined with a real retro gaming legend, John Tobias, the co-creator of Mortal Kombat. Nothing more needs to be said. So guys, sit back and enjoy a really interesting story about one of the most important video games ever made. Welcome to Arcade Attack. A retro gaming podcast for up to four players. So welcome back to the Arcade Attack podcast. I have got a really special guest today. It's a real pleasure, a real honor to talk to one of the co-founders of one of the most important games of all time, Mortal Kombat. I'm talking about John Tobias. Thank you so much for your time today, sir. Hi, thanks for having me. It's, well, the pleasure is all mine, trust me. Um, we are going to talk a lot about Mortal Kombat, uh, but I'd love to start, if that's all right, John, from the beginning, really, about maybe your earliest memories of gaming. Is there any particular games you loved growing up playing? Uh, gosh, um... You know, that well, my earliest memories were playing um, games like Pong. Yeah. Um, and I know that um, when I was younger, my father liked playing games, uh, you know, video games. And so he purchased um, out here, we had a store called Sears and they had uh, a unit. It was like called the Telecade maybe or something along those lines. Yeah. And it was like a combination Pong. Uh, maybe it had um, Breakout and then like a racing game. Um, you know, with very crude graphics, but that was my, one of my earliest memories playing games. And I was probably, I don't know, six or seven years old, maybe. Um, and then after that, um, uh, I remember seeing games, um, you know, um, at amusement centers. So, um, I used to play a lot of pinball machines when I, when I could, it was a little tough for me cause I was fairly short. So it was hard to see over the, the play field. Yeah. But then, um, I remember games, video games, you know, started showing up in the arcades. Um, Space Invaders, I think, was one of the first I remember playing. I think there was like a Western style. I don't remember the name of the game, but it was like a Western style shooting game where you were two cowboys kind of facing off, you know, nice. on the street. That was one of my earliest games. But I remember playing those things and being, you know, enamored with, um, you know, the the mechanics of the of the peripherals that were available. I thought that was a, an important part of it. Just sort of the um, the feel of the you know the coin op buttons and and joysticks and things yeah um yeah so that was i think that was those are my earliest memories and then of course we eventually got um an atari 2600 um and then that you know was kind of everything took off from there and then the arcade boom kind of happened in the in the late 70s early 80s for me um and so i was kind of in the middle of that um and that was a, you know that was a ton of fun stuff yeah great stuff no i agree arcades the the feel of the atmosphere you could it's, it's a, bit, a bit of a shame it's not really around as much today isn't it but right yeah well, obviously yeah, you yeah. Had, well it was a, that was a big part of the experience back then because there was no internet you mm. know so obviously there was you couldn't play your friends from home so the only place you could play someone one on one was um you know um uh was you know kind of at the arcade um you know in that environment and um you know as I got a little older I think in my teen years um you know, the arcade games sort of became, you know, a bit more complex. Um, and, um, I remember watching just sort of the progression of the, the quality of the, um, on-screen graphics, you know, went from kind of, you know, single color, um, 
visuals to multiple colors. And, you know, I remember re- having a reaction to that. Um, yeah. And for some reason, I think Defender um, was one of the f- first games that I remember seeing that that displayed graphics in color. Um, th- I'm sure that I'm not sure if that was one of the, f- you know, the first one, but it was mm. one of the first that I remember having an impact on me. Um, you know, and the, um, you know, the, the sprites, the pixel sprites were fairly crude, but they were in color and that, you know, that to me, that was, that was incredible. Um, and so just every little, you know, um, advance in technology, I remember being hyper conscious of, um, and, uh, that was, you know, like I say, in the, in the, in the, in the arcade, that was, that was always a big thing for me. Yeah, great stuff. Great stuff. Obviously, you, you, it sounds like your yeah, games had a big influence in, on your life growing up, but I'd love to know how you got into the industry. What was your big break and what was your first game you ever worked on? Sure. So um, I, I joined um, Williams Electronics in 1989, and um, Williams Electronics eventually became Midway. Um, and um, I, um, I had just... Um, well, I was just about to graduate from college and I was, I think I was 19 at the time. And a friend of mine who had graduated a year ahead of me, um, a guy by the name of John Vogel, um, he started working at Williams and then, um, there was an opening for a new artist. Um, and so he called me up and asked if, if I was interested and, you know, back then, um, you know, there wasn't much you could learn, um, in terms of a curriculum, you know, in school, um, because computer graphics were fairly new. Mm. Um, and so most of what I knew was kind of self-taught. Um, I had an Apple IIc at home with a a program called Dazzle Draw, and I did a lot of, you know, pixel pushing on that. And then, um, when I was in high school, I I got my hands on an, an, uh, Commodore Amiga and worked on that for a couple of years. Um, and so I was familiar with creating, you know, pixel graphics. Um, and, at the time, um, I was doing, um, I was actually working, um, as a comic book illustrator. Um, and I had been doing that for a couple of years. And, um, so for me, it was, um, you know, back then it was, I was lucky to be, you know, um, to be an artist and also have had an opportunity to get my hands on, um, you know, um, on a computer and, and work with graphics in that way. Um, and that was kind of a rare thing back then. So, um, and so, you know, I applied for the job and was hired um, and then, uh, the first game I worked on was, um, a game called smash TV. Brilliant game. Right. And that was sort of kind of like a sequel to Robotron, which was a, you know, an arcade game that had come out earlier, but, mm. um, they both kind of featured the sort of the dual joystick mechanic, you know, the kind of the top down, yep. you know, uh, with, uh, sort of the, you know, the enemies kind of cruising around the screen and, and you controlling your player and being able to shoot, you know, in all eight directions. Um, and, um, so that was the first game that I worked on. And that was, that was a great experience for me because, um, I had an op, I met a guy by the name of Mark Turmel. Um, and, um, Mark, um, had a long history doing, um, you know, console product. Like I think he worked, um, maybe he worked for Activision, but, um, uh, you know, he had done a few games on the Atari 2600 that coincidentally I had played when I was a kid. Um, mm. and so having a chance to work with him was, was huge for me. And then, of course, um, when I was hired in the department, I got to work with um, 
a guy by the name of Eugene Jarvis, who yep. is, you know, a luminary in the industry and just was coincidentally, you know, the creator of Defender, which was a game <laughs> that I tried to play when I was younger. It was fairly complicated, but, you know, I was, I was aware of that product and obviously Robotron and, and all those things. And so, um, and so I got, you know, I was very fortunate that, um, that I was able to kind of, um, you know, have my introduction into the industry through those guys. Um, and, yep. you know, I learned a lot from them and, and, um, and I was lucky that they kind of let me just sort of, um, do my thing. Um, you know, they were, um, you know, Eugene obviously had been in the industry for years at that point. Um, yeah. but was great about listening to my ideas and, you know, was, was fun to collaborate with and same thing with Mark. Um, and so, and smash TV was a lot of fun to work with. That was a great game to sort of cut my teeth on. We, we like, well, no, we, we actually really love Smash TV Arcade. So it's, a, it's just a good, fun game, isn't it? And yeah, we've spoken, oh, yeah, it was yeah, fantastic. It just loses. And, and Eugene Jarvis, we spoke to him before in the text interview. What a gentleman. He's a proper legend. So, yeah, it sounds like you, you could certainly do worse, uh, have worse yeah. mentors, that's for sure. Right. Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. It was um, um, being yeah. involved. In, and, and Williams, at that, at that point, was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, they were sort of on a rebound because they had weathered um, sort of, you know, the, um, the, the arcade crash that I think happened maybe in the mid eighties, mid late eighties. Um, yeah. and, um, and so they, they had just um, produced a game called NARC, um, yep. that had done, um, you know, pretty well for them. And so they were looking at kind of rebuilding their video game department. And so I kind of came in at the beginnings of that. Brilliant. Um, Smash TV uh, is very closely, I think, inspired by Running Man, which actually is an Arnie, Arnold Schwarzenegger, one, I think a really good film, actually. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and a really actually quite a good time because I'm sure you heard, John, that I think Arnie or Terminator is going to be in the, one of the new characters in Mortal Kombat 11, I believe. Is that right? So I think it's I, good Yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah. No, that's so, it's funny because it's... Um, um, yeah, it, I mean, Smash TV was inspired by by Running Man and a few other things. It was it was actually yeah. just on Smash TV real quick. There were um, at least here in America, there was a TV show called American Gladiators that was yep. popular um, at the time, and so that kind of was the initial. It was like the idea of oh, these guys are on TV and they're you know being put through these trials, you know that kind of a thing. Um, but of course, Running Man obviously was was also a, you know played a part in it as well. But yeah, it's interesting that that um, that Terminator showing up in the latest MK only because of um, you know when I was working in the you know the video game department at Williams, another team was doing was doing a, um, a Terminator arcade. Uh-huh. Um, game and that utilized digitized graphics that we were um sort of known for back then um and so it's kind of cool to see that there's like this odd connection between terminator and mortal Kombat that have that has always kind of existed for me at least because only because of you know being involved in the video game department at williams at the time and the fact that while we were working on mortal Kombat or maybe just starting mortal Kombat, you know they were working on the the terminator 2 game um, which was an important game for our department because it was a big license and it was important for us that it performed well. I didn't actually work on the game. It was a different team, but um, yeah. their success was huge. Actually, every video game that we put out in the department back then was important. It was important for us for it to succeed. So because it just kind of fueled our ability to kind of you know create subsequent games. Good stuff. I mean, bit of a crazy question, but if you could make a, if you could work on a new sort of game, an Arnie based game, is a lot, a lot of good films. Is there any sort of film you'd love to sort of, base a character on you know or, or make a whole film on maybe i don't know like a terminator game or whatever or 
That game, I would do Conan the Barbarian. Oh, yes. <laughs> that would rule. <laughs> that would yeah. rule. I love that answer. Or com- maybe Commando. Oh, could you two. imagine? Uh, that would be, oh, be amazing, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Again, another game, and, and we, Total Carnage, okay, another top, mm-hmm. top game. Oh, we, again, we, we, I love the look and feel of it. How, was that your next game then after Smash TV? Right, yeah. So after Smash TV, um, Mark and I wanted to do a follow-up. Um, and, um, and so that, that's what um, became Total Carnage. And Total Carnage didn't perform as well as Smash TV had, you know, probably for a lot of reasons. Um, but, um, but that was a lot of fun to work with. And it was, um, I think for me, um, you know, my experience in Total Carnage, it was, it was, it was fun to work on, but one of my frustrations back then was that, um, you know, Williams was, um, was known for digitized graphics. That's what they had, you know, they had done that on a game called NARC. And then I remember when we were working on Total Carnage, you know, they were probably working on, um, on uh, the Terminator 2 arcade game at the time, and that featured digitized graphics as well. And we had um, software that was being kind of um, developed, you know, to support the the production of digitized sprites. Um, and Smash TV and Total Carnage, you know, because the characters were so small, you know, the digitization didn't really lend itself to to the, either of those products. And yeah. you know, I remember on on Smash TV particularly when I joined. Um, the idea was that it was going to be digitized. And once I started working with the graphics, you know, I, I kind of made the choice, Hey, you know, I think we're better off, um, doing this all by hand. And so, um, you know, Mark and Eugene were, were on board with that. And so, you know, all the art in that game, um, was hand drawn and animated by myself. And there was another artist named Tim Komen who worked on it as well, but total carnage was kind of the same thing where it was all kind of hand, you know, hand drawn pixels. And as much as I love doing that work, um, to me, it felt like, you know, wow, if, you know, if we could feature larger characters with digitized sprites, you know, that would be a lot of fun to work with. And so, you know, subsequent to Total Carnage, that's where kind of Mortal Kombat was was an attraction for me because, you know, it was going to be a one on one fighter. And, and you know, um, the idea of working with the digitized sprites was something that I thought, you know, um, was something that I wanted to, to do. Yeah, great stuff. Um, I'd love to know, actually, it's a bit of a personal question, John, but what, do you remember the first time you ever met Ed? I mean, Ed Boone, he was obviously, you, you and him made Mortal Kombat. Was there, did you get on straight away? Was there, you know, did you, was there any other game ideas? Were you, was he in the same department as you? I'd love to know how you sort of got introduced. Yeah, it was a long time ago. So the, what I remember <laughs> is um, Ed was a, um, Ed had programmed pinball machines for um, a number of years um, before I had joined Midway. And um, when I, shortly after um, um, I was hired, um, I don't remember how long afterwards, you know, might've been a a few months or so, but um, Ed had um, come down to join the video game department. And, um, uh, and so back at, at Williams Electronics, I'll, I'll paint the picture for you. There was a big factory that manufactured pinball machines. Mm. And in the back of that factory were the offices where the software was developed for both the pinball machines and the video game department. And we were on the first floor and on the second floor was the, the, you know, the pinball group. Um, and so they had a much larger department and, and their, um, you know, the production of pinball games was, was I, I, in my view was a lot more complicated because there was the mechanics and the engineering involved with the play fields and such. But Ed was, you know, programming the software for, for pinball machines and, and, um, 
I guess maybe, you know, um, you know, wanted to come down and join the video game department. Um, and so I met him because he had moved into the office next door to the office that I shared with, with, um, with John Vogel. Um, Mm. and, uh, the first time I remember meeting Ed was, um, he, I remember he moved into the office and he was playing his music really loud. <laughs> and <laughs> I remember him coming over to our office to hear how loud his music was to know whether he was playing it too loud or not. That's, that's the first time I remember meeting him. Um, and I remember him kind of knocking on the door and coming in and going, Hey, is that too loud? And <laughs> kind of going back and lowering the volume. But that's my, that's what I remember. Uh, when I remember meeting him the first time. Um, and then, you know, Ed is, was always such a friendly, jovial guy. I mean, it's always joking around. Everybody got along with him very well, um, you know, because of that. But, um, but he, and, you know, the rest of the video game department, we uh, had all kind of hung out together, you know, on occasion and and such. And, um, you know, like I said, Ed was a big joker, so he was a lot of fun to be around. Um, and, um, um, but, you know, um, he had worked on, um, he was working on a, a football game at the time. Um, and I was working, I was probably working on smash TV or maybe just finishing smash TV. Um, you know, when he had, when he had come down. Great stuff. Uh, when did you start thinking, when did you start talking to Ed and I, I guess the, uh, your managers and whatnot about, we want to make uh, Mortal Kombat a new game. And, and mm-hmm. was there, I'd love to know actually, was there any other sort of games you suggested or thought up at the planning stage that kind of got through away and, and he sort of said, no, that's Mortal Kombat someone to go for. Right. Um, so the way I remember that happening is, um, you know, I, I had mentioned uh, that uh, when I was working on Total Carnage, it was a little bit of frustration on my part, just in mm. terms of the limitations of, of, of that style of product. And so um, uh, the you know, sort of the inception of Mortal Kombat happened, you know, uh, Ed and I had a conversation about doing a, a one-on-one um, fighting game. And when I think back at that, uh, you know, at that conversation and, and what kind of led up to it for me was, um, you know, I was, again, I was trying to get away from the tiny character sprites and I wanted to do something with large characters on screen um, because I thought, um, especially seeing what the guys were doing on the Terminator arcade game, you know, I thought large characters on screen really helps take advantage of the, you know, the digitized look. Um, and so Ed and I in conversation kind of talked about the idea of a one-on-one fighter. And I remember thinking back then, not of Street Fighter 2, which I don't, you know, I don't remember being out at the time that we had this initial conversation. Um, mm-hmm. Because I remember thinking about Karate Champ, which was a game that I played when I was in high school. It was an arcade, kind of a one-on-one fighting game, very crude um, but fun to play, I thought. And, um, um, and I thought, wow, a game like that with digitized graphics, that would be awesome. Yep. And so Ed and I had that conversation and we were both still working on our prior game. So I was in the middle of total carnage and he was working on, I think a sequel to the football game. He had worked on, um, super high impact, uh, was the game that I believe he was working on at the time. And so, so we were just having conversations about it and, um, and we weren't ready to kind of start working on it straight away. We had to kind of wait until both of our, our games were completed, but, um, but somewhere between that conversation and us completing our two games, street fighter two was released in the arcade. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I do remember that. And, and that actually had a positive impact on us because, um, I think for us, it kind of helped justify, um, you know, to our management that a one-on-one fighting game was a viable product, you know, that street yeah. fighter two was doing great in the arcades. And so I think that was, 
great for us because it just kind of showed that, um, you know, that maybe this was kind of a, a good thing to, to pursue. So, um, but, um, but those are sort of the early conversations that we had. And then that kind of led into a bunch of other things for us. Um, that led to, um, I'm trying to think the early days there was, um, oh, okay. So here's one part of the equation was, um, you know, was that we thought tying our game to a license, you know, might help in terms of getting uh, a green light from management. Um, and that was because we thought that because of, um, the Terminator two game was released and obviously was successful. It was a big film. And so we thought, wow, if we could tie ourselves to a license, it might help bolster our chances of, of approval. And so our licensing director, a guy by the name of, um, Roger Sharp, um, had come to us with, um, a license for a film called universal soldier. Oh yes. Right. Which starred, um, John Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren. And so I remember Ed and I thought, um, uh, we didn't want to do a, a universal soldier license, but we thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool if we could get a martial artist, um, Mm. you know, like a, a, a martial artist actor, you know, involved in the game. And so that's where our pursuit of Jean Claude Van Damme kind of started. Um, so we had asked, asked Roger if he would, um, if he could contact Jean Claude Van Damme and Mm -hmm. see if he would be interested in, um, you know, collaborating with us on, on, um, you know, on an arcade fighting game. And that's how the Jean Claude Van Damme thing kind of um, started. That's a great story. I mean, did you ever meet Jean Claude Van Damme? No, no, we didn't. Um, Roger, I think, had talked to maybe you know his agents, mm. um, and it didn't get very far. You know, um, I think at that point, um, you know, Ed and I were coming closer to the completion of our games. Um, management was on board. You know, by that point, for the idea of, of a fighting game, um, Street Fighter Two was released. Mm. Um, and so, um, and for whatever reason the you know, the, the, the deal didn't work out and, um, uh, but our management, they were so high on the concept that, um, that they, you know, let us do it anyway. Um, and, um, we were so psyched. I think even by that point, we had already started working on the idea of the characters and, you know, what mm-hmm. the plot of the, the, you know, the fiction was going to be. And, um, and Jean-Claude was going to, the way he was going to fit into it was, he was just going to play one of the characters in this fictional universe that we were creating. And either he was going to be himself or just, you know, star in the game as one of these fictional characters. That's amazing. I mean, I, the irony is he did turn up in a video game a few yes. years later in Street That's Fighter right. 2, the, the movie, yep. the game. How great. It's a funny world, isn't it, John? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was very odd. And it was a digitized game to boot. I mean, that yeah. was very sort of full circle, you know, in terms of, of Van Damme and, and us and just the idea of him being involved with a fighting game. That was, that was funny watching that kind of transpire. I'd love to, a bit of a hypothetical question, but imagine if you did make the universal soldier game. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure we wouldn't be talking about universal soldier 11 right now. Um, right. What have you, do you ever think what you might, have, where your life might be if you thought, yeah, I'm just going to make the universal soldier game, not a bad film, but you know, <laughs> it could have been a completely different ball game. Do you think? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Um, you know, I don't know that that game would have been a fighting game. Um, mm, it, yeah. more likely it would have been sort of a side scrolling beat em up. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, I mean, obviously universal soldier was no terminator too. So, oh you know, in terms of the, the, the power behind the license, you know, it was, you know, 
not quite as um, as popular, I think, as 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 Terminator Two was obviously, um, and certainly Van Damme was no Arnold Schwarzenegger at the time. Yeah. Um, so you know who knows, um, but I'm glad that you know I'm glad that that we continued down our path, um, and um, and you know not having a license tied to it really freed us up to kind of do what whatever yeah. we wanted with it. So I think brilliant. I think that's you know it, it's, it's the right decision, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah. I, I love. I'd love to know though, because um, Mortal Kombat. Um, I think there's been a lot of it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but lots of inspiration for lots of other films. I, I'm, I see Bloodsport in there as well. Um, yeah. Big Trouble in Little China. Were there, mm-hmm. Was there a lot of that in there where you, you got a lot of inspiration from big movies at the time? And what do you reckon? Yeah. Well, so um, you know, I was so the, you know the opportunity to do a fighting game. Um, uh, and the digitized one was, was great. Um, you know, but for me, um, you know, I was growing up a huge, you know, um, Kung Fu film mm. junkie. And, um, and so, um, you know, I remember when, um, you know, when we were sort of concocting the story and, and, and coming up with the characters, I thought to myself, I'm going to take all of these influences, you know, that I had growing up and, and throw it all at, what Mortal Kombat became. And so yeah. the funny thing about Mortal Kombat is that, it, it, you know, it truly is sort of this conglomeration of all this stuff that influenced me growing up um, and all this stuff that, you know, influenced Ed growing up. And, and really when you look at, you know, the, the totality of what Mortal Kombat was, it, it really was sort of this conglomeration of, of Ed and I and all these influences that, you know, that, that we had, and, you know, that game could only have resulted from the two of us, you know, yeah, meeting yeah. at that time, you know, at that at that place in time and, and creating that game, um, uh, you know, because there is, you know, it, it's really hard to express yourself as an artist in an arcade game, certainly, you know, but um, but it really was just sort of a product of who we were and what the things that we had experienced growing up. And, you know, it's funny because, um, you know, I remember even back then, um, you know, when I would get asked, hey, what influenced you, you know? And, um, um, there, there was a lot of different things and there's, there's kind of the obvious ones, you know, obviously enter the dragon, mm. you know, blood sport, um, uh, big trouble, in little China, you know, you can see little bits and pieces of those things that I had sort of experienced as a, as a high schooler. Um, you know, but there were other films I think that had even more of a direct influence that I kind of would sort of just jumble up. Like I would say, you know, Kung Fu movies, you know, yeah. and really, um, what it was, was there was, um, there was a production company called Shaw Brothers that from out of Hong Kong that had done a lot of martial arts films, maybe in the late seventies, early eighties that I had been exposed to on television. You know, when I was younger, um, there were sort of these movie houses in downtown Chicago that, um, in my early years in, in high school, I would go to, and they would play these sort of triple feature Kung Fu movies. And those films played a large part in a lot of what had sort of influenced us. And, um, um, but, um, it's funny because I had done a, a few other, um, interviews and I had started to look up these old films that I had seen and the names of the movies had changed over the years, mm. but you can still find them today. Like I know Amazon prime here in, in America, they have a whole library of the Shaw brothers films. And I found a few of the, the ones that I had seen growing up, um, you know, 36 chambers was one of them, you know, the five venom, five venoms was another film. I think that influenced us um there was an actor that had appeared in those movies um i knew him as gordon Liu. i'm not sure what his actual you know um you know his proper chinese name 
um, mm. translates to. But Gordon Liu, um, when, it, when we came up with Liu Kang, I got Liu from Gordon Liu. Um, <laughs> but he was the star of, there was a movie called 36 Chambers, and he was sort of the lead character in that film. Um, and that sort of was the idea of Liu Kang being a proper Shaolin monk came from 36 Chambers. Um, and um, there was a movie called um, Clan of the White Lotus, um, and um, the um, Liu Kang character was a member of the White Lotus Society, which I kind of pulled that from Clan of the White Lotus. Um, and uh, there was an old sort of um, wise um, kung fu master. Um, he was he was an evil guy from Clan of the White Lotus. Yeah. That was sort of the inception of Shang Tsung. Actually, came from that character. There's a little bit of Lo Pan from Big Trouble Little China as well, but. You know, I mean, what I'm getting at here is just that Mortal Kombat really was just sort of a mashup of all these things that I had experienced growing up, and um, and so we really just threw the you know threw the kitchen sink at Mortal Kombat. And there's some Star Wars in there in terms of how the story had transpired through the subsequent sequels um, mm. from Mortal Kombat, but um, but it really was sort of this love letter to all this stuff that you know that I was a fan of growing up. It worked, <laughs> and Ed as well. Ed as yeah. well, obviously. It it worked, didn't it? It's it's an incredible. I mean, do you sometimes have to pinch yourself how big the series has become? Um, it's one of the biggest games of all time. It it revitalized arcades. It stood out from the crowd. It must be amazing looking back now. Is that fair, or is it? But at the time, did you know you were making something so special? Or was it just a sort of another job for you? Yeah. Well, no. I mean, at the well, when we were working on the first game. Um, it was a lot of fun to work on only because the, you know, the atmosphere mm. in our video game department at the time was they really cut us loose. I mean, there was very little direction from anybody other than Ed and I. Um, and, um, and so, um, you know, there was no, no one from marketing management wasn't telling us how to make a game. Um, it was just, okay, go do your fighting game. And, and then the rest was up to Ed, myself, and, um, you know, John Vogel worked on it and Dan Ford, who did our audio. And they just cut us loose and we just did what we thought we wanted to see in a game. And, you know, I think the, the one thing about us at the time was we were young enough that, you know, we were, we were the demographic, you know, mm. uh, who are going to play this game. And so, um, and so I thought that, you know, we had probably, um, a, a good sense of, of what would resonate with the players. Um, but, you know, when I think um, when it blew up, of course, you know, we didn't expect um, it to do as well as it as, as it did. We knew that we were um, creating a fun game. It was fun to work on. It was fun to play. Um, and, um, you know, I think, you know, I remember thinking at the time, my only expectation was that we would manufacture enough units to get it out on test and hopefully, you know, yeah. um, you know, produce a few thousand games, which is what we had done on Smash TV. And I thought that game was a success. And so I thought, um, you know, wow, it'd be great if we can at least do that. Um, but you know, while we were working on mortal Kombat, Terminator two was released and, and, and that was like a huge game for our department. Mm. Um, and so, um, and so I think they just sort of opened the door to the idea that, wow, you know, we can do something that, you know, that hits critical mass, um, you know, in the arcade market. Um, and, um, and so, um, and so the, yeah, you know, like I said, in the first game, we, our ex- expectations were, were fairly tempered, but, um, but it was great to kind of just see it blow up. Um, yeah. and, uh, um, no one predicted that it was just, you know, it was just, um, I think all we knew was, you know, make a game that's fun to play. And we just kind of, um, you know, worked by our instincts and, uh, and then fortunately it, you know, worked out for us. 
I mean, it, correct me if I'm wrong, John, you worked in a small team to make the first game. It's, it's only a few of you, wasn't it? You and Ed and a few other people. But how did you fit all the work in? I've got you down here. You developed the stories, the themes, the settings, the complete. I've got here, you've, you made the complete roster of characters. I mean, right, that must yeah. be a lot of work. I don't know how you did it. Well, we didn't sleep much. You know, I remember that. Um, and so, I mean, you know, it's funny because today there's a lot of controversy around the work habits of, you know, folks who, who work in, in our industry. And um, back then it was it was similar. Um, but, um, you know, for us, though, it was like there was never anybody cracking a whip. It was just, um, you know, we were young and we had a lot of energy and we enjoyed what we were doing. And so it really was, you know, we, you just pour your heart into into your work effort. And um and so, um, I mean, that's how all that work got done was it was just, you know, I, you know, we didn't sleep much and we worked, you know, 14, 16, 18 hour days. I remember sometimes we wouldn't sleep, you know, when it came time to kind of release, um, you know, um, the game into the, into the, um, the arcade. I remember leading up to our first test, um, you know, us kind of working incredible hours and, you know, Ed was an amazing workhorse. I mean, he just, you know, I remember sometimes he would bring a duffel bag in of, with his clothes and he just wouldn't go home, mm. you know? So that was, that was the, the type of energy that we had and the, the passion that we had for what we were doing. And, um, you know, fortunately I think with, with games back then is the scope of the product wasn't as large as they are today, mm. you know, so that, you know, really only took a handful of people to, to create something. Um, but you know, you had to have passion and you had to have energy and you had to enjoy what you were doing, um, you know, to kind of get the, get, get the work done. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's all I can say about how we yeah. got that done. It was just, you know, it really was just us being passionate about the work that we were doing. Brilliant. I've got a, I'd love to ask this question, John. It doesn't have to be necessarily about the first Mortal Kombat, be any sort of the, any of the sequels you worked on. But did you ever work on any characters um, that you, you, you created, you designed possibly, but they never made it into the game for one reason or, or other? And I'd love to know, is there any characters you can sort of reveal that, you know, were close to being in the game but never made it? Um, yeah, I mean, all, all the stuff is kind of out there already, but I, you know, on the first game, because, um, actually, so one thing about the first game was that we were working on a compressed schedule. And so, um, everything that we did was sort of utilitarian. So I didn't do a whole lot of concept art. It was all very, you know, I would do a few sketches and have ideas on, in terms of what the costume pieces were going to be that we were going to have to gather. Um, the, um, um, let me think the first game there were, there were maybe a few characters that I had sketched out and written, um, story stories for that we ended up not using. Um, but there was very little of it. Um, mm. the second game as well, I think maybe I, I had done some color sketches for characters that we, you know, knew right away. We weren't, we weren't going to use, um, the only, the only version of a character that I can think of that we actually went so far as, um, videotaping the actor producing, you know, um, the sprites for getting it in the game and then deciding, wow, this is not going to work was um, we did a version of Jax for Mortal Kombat 2. Um, and my or original sketch for him had him sort of in this yellow um, Kung Fu outfit that um, I made it yellow and black. It was sort of a call out to Bruce Lee from Game of um, yep. Game of Death. Um, and um, but um, the um, you know, I remember looking at him on screen with Ed and um, I was not happy with sort of the way that the, um, the, the yellow sort of the way it looked on screen, there was the, um, the creases in the clothing to me weren't working. 
Um, and I just wanted to redesign the character. And so, um, so Ed and I decided to kind of scrap that version of Jax. And um, we sort of went back to the drawing board. I did another marker sketch of him, of the Jax that you see in, and yeah. seeing in Mortal Kombat. And we, we, re, um, you know, we reshot um, uh, the actor, John Parrish um, in the new costume. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, and so that was, I think a good call on our part, but that was the only time I think that we had, gone that far and ended up scrapping what we did. Um, we would, it would have been much more difficult to do that on, on the first game only because um, I mentioned, you know, we had a compressed schedule. So mm. we were just, you know, firing on all cylinders on that game. And um, we threw away very little. Um, there was a lot that we had done in the studio with the actors that we ended up not using. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Yeah. Like we had done, I remember we had shot um, intros for the characters back then, which I don't know that anybody had done yet. You know, you see character mm-hmm. intros in, in fighting games today where they kind of jump out and say a few things and do a few moves, moves, you know, prior to the fight starting. And so back then we shot the actors kind of walking out onto the stage and then, you know, performing a move and, and getting ready to fight. Um, but we ended up not having, um, mm-hmm. you know, the memory to, to include those sprites in, in the game itself. So we ended up scrapping that stuff. Oh, good stuff. I mean, Mortal Kombat it, it got a lot of attention when it came out, you know, for the for the gore, for the the the, the graphics, like the the lifelike, you know, the real actors on the screen. But I think sometimes um, it's forgotten for bringing quite a few other innovations, like juggling, fatalities. I mean, it's not just your, t- it's not just a Street Fighter uh, clone at all. It it pushed the uh, the genre in really interesting and quite ambitious directions. I mean, what what part of Mortal Kombat are you most proud of? If you don't mind me asking, John. Um, you know, I think when I look back at the, at the first game in particular, what I'm most proud of is just sort of the process that, that, that the, the process to create the game, I think is, um, mm. you know, I mean, obviously the, the way that it resonated in popular culture is I'm very proud of that. Um, but, um, but I think, you know, what it, what it, what it shows to me is that, um, you know, especially today, because games are so expensive to produce, there's so many cooks in the kitchen that, mm. um, you know, the end result, it's very rare that it is an expression of the folks working on it because it's such a, there's such a, a, a huge number of people working on it. And, you know, when, when you get marketing involved and, and you start to become overly concerned with whether the game is going to be a commercial success or not, it kind of starts to limit, you know, the, 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 um, the risks that you might take with the choices mm. that you make. Um, and so, um, Mortal Kombat really was, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it was a product of us and it was, you know, what we thought would resonate and the things that influenced us. And, um, and so it was as organic as you can get in terms of putting a game out, players finding it and enjoying it, you know, and it, um, you know, the, the success of it truly was sort of, um, you know, um, organic in a sense. It was just, it was, it was you know, when we, especially, you know, like when we tested the game, it was a black arcade cabinet that we rolled into an arcade and turned it on and, and players found it, you know, and enjoyed it and kept playing it. And, um, you know, so that I think says a lot about, you know, um, you know, that, uh, I think even games today when, you know, the, the folks making it have to be passionate about the work that they're doing, you know, from top down. And, um, and it was the same back then. And so I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm happy about the process and it was, it was mm. as difficult as it was to create the game. Um, you know, um, 
I think, I think in part it was the success of it that, 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 you know, allows us to look back on it favorably. So oh, great stuff. Actually, I'd love to know, John, um, did you ever sneak into any arcades and sort of watch people play your game and even maybe compete against the punters and uh, get people? Yeah. Uh, so, do you ever do that? If, if ever find yourself seeing what everyone's thinking of your game in the arcades? Yeah, sure. Well, we did that all the time. I mean, um, on smash TV, um, that was my first experience with that, um, mm. where we had, you know, what we would do, um, is, uh, uh, we would test the game for a number of weeks um, prior to its release. And, you know, that's back then, that's how we would, um, you know, make changes. You'd find out what resonated with the players and what may not work. And you'd, 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 um, you know, change some things here and there. And so, um, so when we would push, put the game out on test, typically we would do a weekend test at first. Um, and it was important for us to kind of be there and watch the players. And mm-hmm. so we did that a lot. And, um, Fortunately, I, especially I think for Ed and I, we were young enough that we could blend in with the crowd, so they didn't know who we were. <laughs> so yeah, we yeah. Would, <laughs> yeah, we would stand around and watch them play, um, and that was always a great experience. Um, and you'd learn, you know, um, as I mentioned, you'd learn what worked and what didn't. And um, you know, the, one of the hard truths about testing games back then was that um, you learned right away. It felt to me, at least, like we learned right away whether we were going to succeed or not. And um, I remember a saying, I don't know if it came from Eugene Jarvis or Mark Tamell, but somebody had a saying of the first player who drops a, a quarter into the game, if he doesn't drop a second quarter in the game, you're dead. Wow. And um, I, and I don't know whether that was true or not, but I remember having that impression. Like that's how crucial that first, mm. and it typically for us was a Friday evening, you know, the, the, that first Friday evening watching players um, and their behavior with the game was, was crucial for us. And, um, and certainly the earnings were as well. Um, but, um, but, you know, Smash TV, I remember um, having a positive, you know, that first weekend test did really well. Um, and so we knew that, um, that that game was, was sort of, um, you know, on the right path. And the same thing with Mortal Kombat, you know, mm-hmm. our first weekend test, we did incredible and, and, um, uh, you know, I remember when we had rolled the, the first game in, um, the first MK cabinet into, uh, it was an, an arcade called Times Square on the north side of Chicago. And um, I remember we turned it on and there was a Street Fighter II machine there that had, you know, Ooh. this huge crowd of players around it. And so we were scared shitless. I mean, we didn't know whether <laughs> anybody would play our game, you know. And so um, and so I remember standing there watching it. Um, you know, Ed and I were there and probably some other folks from Midway were there as well. Cause it was always a big event when your mm. game did your first weekend test. And, um, uh, and I remember watching the first guy kind of come over a uh, first player and, and play the game. And then, you know, going over and pulling over another guy from, this is from the street fighter crowd, you know, nice. and slowly they migrated over to mortal Kombat, and, um, and they stayed, you know, yeah. and, um, and it was that way all week. And I remember by the end of that weekend, we had, a huge crowd of players around MK and the, the street fighter two crowd had sort of dwindled. Um, and so we were extremely excited. Like we thought, wow, we've got something mm-hmm. special here. And, um, um, and so that was a great result for our first weekend test, but staying there and watching the players play was a big part of, um, our decision-making process in terms of, you know, what we did that we thought worked and what we needed to change a little bit. And, I don't know that there was much that we changed on on Mortal Kombat. I think that um, that you know we had kind of kept a lot of what we had, and um, I think um, watching their reactions to the fatalities I think was important for us. Um, yeah, 
that was a big part of um, a big part of our decision making process with fatalities. Like we knew that um, that it got a great reaction from the players. And one thing that I I think was important for us was any reaction, any positive reaction you got from the players was a good thing. It didn't matter what it was that was in the game. If they reacted <laughs> positively to it, it was it was thumbs up. And so we just knew, okay, push more on that. Mm. Um, so. Yeah, oh, I love so that. we did a lot of watching yeah. watching the game on, on location. Uh, oh, brilliant. I love that story. Thank you, John. Um, just on Street Fighter really quickly, are you a fan of the game? And is there a character in Street Fighter you you like playing with? Or is that a bit of a touchy subject? Yeah, no, not at all. Um, yeah, no, I was. we were huge fans of Street mm. Fighter 2. It was a great game. It was fun to play. Um, uh, I think Ryu and Ken were my t- my go-to guys on, yeah. on Street Fighter 2. Um, and... Um, you know, one thing I will say about Street Fighter 2 and, and as it relates to Mortal Kombat, you know, with Mortal Kombat, one thing I, I do remember, you know, that 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 um, that was one of our mantras, at least mine in terms of the visuals, was that when I looked at Street Fighter, it was more and when we looked at Street Fighter, it wasn't so much to to mimic what they did. It was almost to learn what to do differently. And mm. and so Mortal Kombat was, you know, from the graphics, everything that we did was more to differentiate um, because, you know, our game was going to be a one-on-one fighter. And so there's the inherent similarities in terms of two characters beating each other up. You know, we we can't escape that. But in terms of the visual approach, you know, um, I think that, um, you know, with Mortal Kombat, the digitized technique and the fact that we had a compressed schedule sort of, and, and the fact that we want to differentiate from Street Fighter led us to sort of the raw digitized nature of what you see in the first Mortal Kombat game. There was very little pixel touch-up that we had done, um, you know, with the with the sprites in that game, and and we had almost, um, well, we made a conscious choice to just sort of let the raw pixel graphics live as they are, mm-hmm. um, and so um, and so um, we felt that that would help sort of differentiate differentiate us from Street Fighter and kind of sort of um, carve out our own, you know. Um, visual qualities, um, you know, as a game itself. Yeah. Um, and so what you see in Mortal Kombat was not accident. It was, you know, those are conscious choices that, that we had sort of made. Um, and that was a result of Street Fighter in a lot of ways. It was looking at Street Fighter and seeing what they did. And early on in MK, I remember almost thinking, oh, maybe we can rotoscope the game, you know. Um, oh, wow, yeah. And, you know, we would digitize the characters and I would just draw over them. But that kind of, first, we didn't have the time to do it. And second using the raw digitized graphics really helped differentiate us, you know, our visual qualities from street fighter. And so, um, anyway, I just thought that might be a, a good thing to sort of point out. Yeah, no, a lot of really interesting. Um, yeah. again, this, your answer, I assume might change every week, every, every few weeks or so, but do you have a particular favorite character and even fatality move within the Mortal Kombat universe? Yeah. I know I get asked that and I think my answers change all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I love all of them. I mean, I, you know, the, obviously the, the initial roster is my favorite. Yeah. Um, and there were subsequent characters, obviously that, 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 that I thought that we did that, that worked well. Um, but you know, the first game sort of was, was firing on all cylinders in terms of, you know, the fiction of the game, the, you know, the, um, you know, I talked a little bit of, in, in, you know, in the past I've talked about, um, you know, when I look back on the, the that initial roster and the use of character archetypes in terms of who they were and, and using that to sort of tell story in a way that, that we couldn't because we didn't have, obviously, cutscenes back then. There wasn't a whole lot of 
exposition that we can tell, but we thought that, you know, by making a character the distinct hero and this guy a distinct sidekick and all those things um, would help us sort of convey story without telling actual, you know, story exposition. Um, and so because of that, I think the initial roster that you know, tends to be my favorite. Um, Goro obviously um, is one of my favorite because visually I think he kind of um, stands out um, sort of specifically um, just sort of the, the iconic nature of him. And, you know, people see him and know he's from Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Um, same thing with, you know, Sub-Zero and Scorpion, I think um, are yep. as popular today as they were back then. And, and, um, and, you know, so I think that um, they, they are kind of my, my favorite um, Raiden obviously is one of my favorites. So anyway, I'm not giving you a good answer <laughs> because they're all my favorites, but um, I don't know. Fatality wise, maybe sub zeros, you know, the head with the spine oh, uh, is one of my favorites. Um, Kano's heart rip is, is a, is a cool one. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm not going to give you a, a that's good all right. answer. <laughs> no, no, that's no problem. Um, oh, it's amazing. Um, Mortal Kombat, when it came out though, and the sequels as well, it, it got a lot of attention in the media. I'm talking newspapers, and yeah. it wasn't all good. It, it, you know, they were saying this is this is too violent. There's too much blood. Sure. Um, what do you think about that? Was that was? Did you look back and sort of think, yeah, maybe we went a bit too far, or, or in a weird way, did it almost help uh, push the sort of uh, the, your name out a bit more? Well, I think it. I think it helped us. I mean, I think it helped certainly. You know, catapult us in terms of the, um, you know, the pop culture side of things. I mean, I think that, um, you know, we, Mortal Kombat became a household name because of its, you know, infamous place in pop culture history, you know, because of the violent nature of the game. And so that, I, you know, in an odd way, all of the attention that we got, I think, ended up benefiting us. Um, and somebody, somebody in our department, it was either Eugene Jarvis, I don't remember, somebody I remember saying, hey, all publicity is good publicity. Mm. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> um, but, um, you know, the funny thing is that, you know, Ed and I didn't set out to be controversial. We didn't, you know, the, the idea of face, fatalities didn't start from a place of, hey, let's do this because it's gory and, and it's, and it's, and it's going to, you know, um, gather that kind of um, attention, you know, from the masses. We didn't, that was never our intention. It really was, um, you know, it really did start out with, I remember Ed at the end of a match had a hang up because there was, you know, there, it was sort of the end of a match and there was nothing to do. And that was sort of the birth of the idea of, Hey, let's do this secret thing at the end of a match. Um, and the idea of making it gory just sort of was a byproduct of that. And, um, and I remember the reactions from people who played the game in the office when we did, you know, the first fatality was Johnny Cage punching his own head off. And, um, and it, it just was, you know, the reactions we got from people were so visceral that, um, and so everyone enjoyed it so much that we thought, wow, you know, let's, let's keep doing this. Um, and, um, that's kind of how it started as opposed to us thinking, you know, that we were going to do it just sort of, you know, to, to gather attention. Um, that, that's not how that, how fatalities were born for us. That was the end result of it, obviously, I think was that, you know, um, the violent nature of it, I think is what sort of, you know, uh, propped us up as this sort of bad boy <laughs> arcade game. Um, and, um, you know, anyway, I, you know, I think when, when it was going on, um, the first game, you know, came out, and uh you know came out and was released in the arcades i think it really didn't get 
um, mass media attention until the home product was released. Yeah, um, you know, a year or so later. Um, and so, and by that time, we were already deep in uh, in Mortal Kombat too. Of course. Um, yeah. And I think the uh, SNES version had no blood. I think the Mega Drive version, it was very easy to get the blood on. Right. But, and I think I think the Mega Drive version sold a lot more. And, you know, I think it it really helps, uh, a bit, you know, quite an interesting rivalry between the two ports, actually, isn't there? Right, yeah. I mean, there was the, you know, everyone has told kind of the, you know, the, the story of what had transpired back then. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it showed that... Um, you know, what, you know, one interesting thing about um, arcade games back then was the port, you know, the, the home version mm. um, ports of those games were crucial. Um, and the, um, you know, the, um, the accuracy in terms of the, the translation was, was, was very important to the player. So, yeah. you know, the idea when you did a home port wasn't, you know, what's different. It was how, how, um, you know, how accurate is it to the, you know, to the arcade version mm. of the game? And if you deviated from it, um, players didn't like it. And so, mm. uh, you know, a game as popular as Mortal Kombat, it was important for the player that it be, you know, as, um, you know, as accurate of a, of a port, you know, as possible. And so, uh, you know, taking out the fatalities, which was a primary piece of the game, you know, was going to rub the players the wrong way. And so, yeah. you know, the, the reaction to the SNES and the, um, genesis version of the game i think you know kind of demonstrated that great stuff i mean um mortal kombat 2 uh it's probably my personal favorite in the whole series if i'm being honest it's it, when when you first started working on mortal kombat 2 did you feel a lot of pressure were you given uh, the same freedom again or how did that sort of pan out yeah we were given the same freedom i mean other than just you know the um the directive to create a sequel you know, no one told us how to do that. Um, mm. But, um, you know, I remember, it's kind of a funny story. I remember after Mortal Kombat 1, um, Ed and I wanted to do a, um, wanted to do something else. And I remember we wanted to do a Star Wars game. I remember that, us having that conversation. And um, that didn't get very far because, you know, the first Mortal Kombat game was performing so well in the arcades that, um, you know, I remember having a conversation, you know, Ed and I had a conversation with our um, general manager at the time, a guy by the name of um, Ken Fidesna. And um, Ed and I had conveyed to him that we wanted to do a um, a Star Wars game. And I remember his reaction was, you know, Star Wars, <laughs> you guys are going <laughs> to do Mortal Kombat too. And so, um, uh, and so that, I mean, that, that was fine with us. Um, you know, we had enjoyed working on the first game so much. Um, you know, the opportunity to do a sequel, you know, we mm. thought was, was, was a great thing. And, um, for me in particular, I remember being excited because the first game, there was sort of this fiction that we told and we, it was just sort of the, the beginnings of it. Um, and so, um, we were sort of excited to be able to expand on it. Mm. Um, and, um, there were things about the process, um, just sort of the development process that we knew that we could improve. Um, and so, um, and so that was exciting because we knew that, that the second game was going to look better. Um, you know, because I think there was, there were maybe some improvements in the hardware that were going to benefit us, um, in terms of the graphic quality that we were going to take it, be able to take advantage of. Um, we were going to have more memory so we could have more characters and then they were going to, we were going to have more time as well. Um, and so, you know, all those things sort of equated to sort of, uh, sort of the idea that we were going to be able to do a bigger, better version of the, the first game. 
Um, and so, and so it was exciting more so than, than being, um, having any sense of pressure. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously there was, there was a little bit of pressure to, 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 um, you know, to replicate the success of the first one. But, um, you know, as I mentioned, because of the improvements, you know, um, that we were going to be able to make, um, there was a, a, maybe a sense of confidence, I think that we had, um, with the sequel that, that we knew, um, we knew that it was going to be a better game. Um, and yeah. whether it was going to perform as well as the first one, again, you know, you never know until, until you release it. Um, mm. but, um, but certainly the success of the the home version of the game, um, and all the media attention that it had gathered really meant that, you know, the sequel was going to have a lot of eyes on it. Um, but I don't ever remember feeling pressure, you know, yeah. um, more just excitement and passion and, you know, we were having so much fun working on it. Um, that, um, you know, that, uh, that it was more excitement than any, than, than pressure. Oh, good stuff. Um, kind of, kind of linked to that. And I, I, I mean, noob cybot, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correct. It's just amazing. I, I, I love the idea of your surname and Ed's surname mixed, mixed around. How did that come about? Was there, it was like a, did, did you think of it? Was it Ed? What happened? I remember that being Ed's idea. So, um, yeah. it's funny because, um, on the first game and the second game, um, you know, when we would do the palette swaps with the ninjas, um, at one point I remember giving Ed just a rainbow selection of color choices, mm. <laughs> you know, of, <laughs> of the, we had purple ones, green ones, you know, all kinds of colors. Um, and I, I think reptile in particular mm. was probably, you know, the, the inception of that, um, started with Ed, I'm sure, you know, Ed was the idea that there was all this hidden stuff in the game that was all Ed, you know, he would start that process. And then I would just sort of, um, you know, um, sort of follow along. So noob Cybot in particular was, you know, Ed did that came up with the idea of the backward name and everything. And then when I found out about it, it was just on my plate to sort of make up some fiction for the character, um, you know, to help fit him into the universe. But, but most of that hidden stuff, rain, noob Cybot, um, Ermac, you know, his history was a little bit different, but all that stuff sort of, would start with Ed kind of kind of burying that into the game, and then and then we would just sort of um, you know come up with fiction to kind of help um, meld them into the the story and the larger fiction of, of the rest of the game. Um, yeah. But Noob Cybot was you know that that was Ed's idea, um, and uh, and it's it was funny because um, it wasn't until years later that we had actually given those characters sort of a proper introduction of the game. I think maybe it was. Mortal Kombat trilogy or maybe Mortal Kombat three, where we had actually written some fiction for those characters. And it really wasn't until the, the, you know, I had already left midway and and I think it was the much later games where they had really introduced those characters, you know, um, properly in terms of how they fit into the larger fiction. But it's cool seeing them still around today, like MK 11, there's new cybots in MK 11. So who would have thought, you know, that, that this sort of, character who began as an afterthought on ed's part you know would become this sort of you know one of the key characters in, in the franchise it's f- fun to watch that sort of happen oh it's brilliant i think that's another reason why people like mortal kombat's and, and the, the sequels there was all those hidden moves and hidden characters right. and oh yeah. it, it was brilliant actually and i think it, you kind of mentioned it earlier john but that sort of freedom to do, kind of do what you want adds to that doesn't right. it yeah yeah no absolutely you know it's funny because mortal kombat had um, it, it, it's interesting because especially with the first game, you know, the, 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 the fiction of the game 
um, was sort of, um, you know, it was, it was a lot of it was in the players' heads. You know, we told, there was very little exposition to the story that we could tell. You know, we, we did it in the attract mode of the games that we would tell, you know, there would be a, a, a short paragraph of each character and how they fit into the, you know, the larger theme of the, of the game itself. And I think because of that, the players were put in a position where they knew what the character looked like. They knew, you know, the, the high-level fiction of the character and, and, so, and how those characters fit into the world and how they related to the other characters. You know, we implied that by you know by who the characters were and you know what their what their brief stories were but a lot of the the detail the players sort of made up in their heads Mm. and so because of that i think it gave the game sort of this mythological quality where you know um the players had this world in their heads that really you know we just sort of insinuated but they sort of filled in the blanks and you know again it gave it sort of this mythological quality and the fact that we were burying secret moves in the game really just added to, you know, to that whole mystique. And, um, you know, especially with the first game where there was no internet. And so when somebody would discover something that was, you know, buried in the game as a secret, it really was just sort of word of mouth. Mm. And, um, especially, you know, in, in Chicago where we tested the games, we could almost see the migration of, of rumors and, you know, and all the secret moves and stuff would happen. Yeah. We would test a game on the North side of the city, um, initially. Uh, and then when the game would, would also test on another part of the city, you could see sort of the, the, you know, the secret moves and, and all this stuff just sort of by word of mouth travel through the city. And that was really cool to see happen. That was a whole different side of, of gaming that doesn't exist today, obviously because of the internet. Um, but the idea of secret moves, um, playing a pivotal role in, in what really makes up Mortal Kombat started with that first game and started in that environment and um, lives today kind of in a different way, obviously, because of the advent of the internet and how people share the mm. stuff that they find. Um, but, you know, MK today is, is even when you watch a game like Mortal Kombat and how, who the characters are in the roster how things get revealed. I mean, they really play on that mystique that was birthed, you know, with the first game, you know, 25 years ago, but they still kind of play on that. I think Ed, you know, will tease players with who the next player is going to be and, or, you know, who the next characters are going to be in the roster and, and all those things. It's, um, it's fun to see that that still lives today. Yeah. Um, uh, but really, yeah, it truly is amazing. No, great stuff. Uh, really quickly, actually. Um, one way that the story of Mortal Kombat is, another way it's been brought to uh, fans is through the movies. Are you actually a fan of the Mortal Kombat films, and were you involved in any of, any of those back in the day? You know, the, sure, the initial movie, um, well, first off, you know, Ed and I and the team, we were always so busy working on the next iteration of the game that, you know, when the game sort of blew up in pop culture and, you know, they started making toys and, you know, there was all this, you know, the ancillary products that were a result of the popularity of the game. All this stuff was happening. And then certainly when the, you know, when the film was in production, we were busy working on Mortal Kombat 3, mm. you know, by that time. And, um, uh, and so we had, we had a little bit of involvement only in that, you know, we were sent the screenplay and we were able to make some comments here and there. Um, but really not all that much. You know, Ed and I got to visit the set a couple of times. Um, and um, had a few conversations. I mean, we had actually we had a number of conversations with the producers. Mm. Um, and then, um, you know, I only really had a couple of conversations with um, Paul Anderson, who was the, the director of the first film. Um, but, 
Um, I was a fan of the first one, obviously. Um, and, um, uh, I know Larry Kasanoff, who's the producer, he loves to tell a story that, you know, the, you know, Midway hated the, the film, but we, you know, I know Ed and I didn't have too much of a negative reaction. I think we had seen it, um, you know, a rough cut of the film. Um, and it was, you know, there wasn't color correction. The audio was mm. off. And I think that there may have been some people at Midway who were exposed to that version of the film and, and had a negative reaction. You know, I remember Ed and I being very excited about it. Um, yeah. and, uh, and having a sense of, you never really know whether something's going to be a success until, you know, um, un, un, until it comes out. But, um, but, um, but I was a fan of the first one. I think, you know, um, you know, we thought that, that they had serviced the, the you know, the property, um, uh, well, mm. um, they had learned, I think during the initial, um, pre-production portions of, of the development of the movie, I think they learned quickly not to deviate too far from, you know, the arcade, um, you know, the arcade origin of it. Um, you know, I remember at one point seeing a version of Scorpion that looked nothing like Scorpion from the game. And I think they had done some focus testing on it and they learned also as well, you know, not mm. to, not to do that, you know, that, that, uh, fans and players would, would react negatively, um, to it. Um, and so, you know, it was exciting, you know, to kind of see all that happen. And, you know, one thing I'll say about that first game though, is, you know, I mentioned that when we did, uh, you know, the first and the second game, you know, our ability to kind of tell any real story exposition was incredibly limited in the arcade mm -hmm. games. You know, when you look at a game like MK 11, where there's just hours of story exposition that can be told in cutscene and dialogue and all those things um you know we just didn't have that yeah and so we had to rely on sort of you know character archetypes and just raw sort of the just the thematic quality of the story that we were telling just by the nature of who the characters were and what the you know the um the high level fiction was we kind of had to rely on that stuff um i think that the first film when it was released players had there was such a desire to see the fiction that they had been sort of telling themselves in the, you know, just sort of in their heads, they had this idea of the story yeah. that was being told in the game that we weren't able to tell in the game itself. And so the excitement behind that, I think that first film was just being able to see that stuff represented, you know, so cinematically on film, um, I think was exciting for the players. And I think in large part had to do with the success, success of that first film was mm -hmm. just sort of this buildup, this desire to see, you know, these characters that everyone loves so much, you know, represented that way, I think was, was, um, was huge. Um, whereas today I know they're working on a, there's a new film that's in, that's, um, you know, in early production. Mm. Um, and I don't know that that sense is going to be there, you know, for the film that, you know, that same desire that existed back then, um, only because when you play MK 11, the cinematics are so amazing and the fiction yeah. that they tell is so, um, you know, they're just through dialogue and, 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 you know, um, and through the, you know, the, the, um, the, you know, the process of playing the game, they're so, they're able to unfold so much ex, you know, story exposition that, um, and, and they do it in such an amazing way that I don't know that, you know, when we see the stuff being told cinematically on film, well, I, I, I just played through MK 11 and it was amazing. So what are you guys going to do, you know, in the film that I haven't seen already? So it's going to be interesting. Those guys have their work cut out for them in, in, um, you know, in, in, um, representing the game in a way that is true to the story, uh, and, and in a way that the players expect, um, because I don't think that the novelty of seeing it on film is quite what it was you yeah. know, 25 years ago. No, I get that. I think, yeah, I think you make a good point. Definitely.
Um, bit of another tough question. <laughs> is there a particular Mortal Kombat title, any game in the series that you think, yeah, this is what I would class as the definitive game? It's where everything came together properly, and it's you know it, not necessarily your favourite, but which one do you think sort of defined the, the series for you? Um, well, obviously the first game, yeah. in terms of um, you know laying the groundwork, but but I think MK two, mm. um, you know, only because it was such a good, it like encapsulated what we had done in the first game, but did it in a way that it was just sort of us cut loose, you know, and. Um, uh, and I think the um, the mechanics of the gameplay, I think Ed was just on his game, you know, um, for that particular one. And um, um, uh, so I would say I would say MK2 for me, I think, is, is the best sort of, um, you know, it was that we expanded on the story and I think it and fulfilled a lot of what the players were looking for in a sequel. Um, and so I think, you know, if we had failed with that second game, I don't know that mk3 or the film or all those other things would have um you know would have um would have happened yeah because it would have mk would have maybe been dismissed as a fad if we had failed on that on that sequel Mm. i like i said earlier uh, more combat 2 was just brilliant i just thought i I love the first more combat but it just seemed to improve in all all areas truthfully so yeah well you know you you made it you i'm gonna listen to you 100 percent um a bit of a again a bit of a personal question but why did you leave midway because you know you, you you're on a good thing obviously Mortal Kombat was getting bigger and bigger do you mind me asking why you decided to leave midway games no not at all um so it's interesting there so I think you know when when I was involved with Mortal Kombat and watching it sort of grow and explode um you know at that stage I think when I left I was like 30 years old you know mm-hmm. and um, and there was myself and a, and a group of guys who, who I had worked with, you know, the desire to start, sort of start our own development studio and try our hand at that, I think was, was a big part of the reason why. And it, of course it's difficult to leave something like a mortal combat. Um, you know, by the time we had left, I think the arcade industry itself was already starting to, to wane. Mm. Um, and so, um, you know, working in the Chicago office at Midway, we were still producing, um, arcade games. That was our, that was still our, our thing. And, um, um, I had sort of branched off with the team to do the, there was a Mortal Kombat mythologies, you know, the sub zero game that had come out and that was a straight to home version of the game, but we were also producing MK4 at the time. Mm. And, you know, as I mentioned, the arcade industry itself was starting to, to kind of wind down. And so, you know, at that stage, it didn't really matter what you did in the arcade because, you know, you were, your success was, was sort of tempered by, you know, what the industry as a whole was, was doing. And so I was sort of watching that kind of transpire. And, and my frustrations as a developer, I think was when we started to turn our attention to the home product, you know, in, in the late nineties there, um, it was new for us because, you know, we were used to working with smaller teams on the arcade games and the home product required us a whole, it was sort of a different animal for us. And sort of the, um, you know, the process of developing those home games for us was a bit of a struggle. Mm. Um, and so, you know, while that wasn't a direct, you know, reason for why I left, I mean, I think that played a part of it. Um, and, you know, when we thought about, wow, you know, when, if we were to walk away, you know, what are the chances that we're able to kind of, you know, strike a, a development deal with somebody? And one thing that I had learned from talking to other people who had worked, you know, in, the, you know, in the console industry was, 
you know, when the new consoles are kind of coming out, that's when there's a lot of money. This is the world back then. Yeah. But that's when there's a lot of money from publishers floating around and they're looking for people to develop on their new platforms. And so we knew that there was going to be a, a short window of opportunity for us to be able to strike a development deal. You know, and unfortunately for us, you know, we were working on a, uh, there was, um, uh, you know, Ed and those guys um, had kind of branched off and they were doing um, a, a, an arcade game called The Grid. Mm. We were still um, also working on, um, there was a, a Mortal Kombat home game called Special Forces that we were um, sort of in the middle of working on that had its own development issues. But, um, you know, unfortunately that game was going to realize some delays and um, our window of opportunity for getting a development deal, we thought it's going to come and go. Mm. And so that's why we left at the moment that we left was because, um, you know, the Xbox, you know, um, was, uh, coming out. There was the PlayStation two that was coming out. And so we thought, wow, you know, if we're going to, um, you know, if we're going to form a studio, get a development deal, it's going to be now. Um, yep. And that's why we left at, at that particular moment. And, um, and it was tough to leave Mortal Kombat. I mean, obviously, <clears throat> you know, the fourth game had, had come out. I think did well in the arcade given the condition of the industry. Um, um, but um, we were all kind of taking maybe a little bit of a break from Mortal Kombat as a fighting game. Um, but I felt, I, I remember when I left, I still felt that, you know, Mortal Kombat was going to be a forever property. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's because of its place in, in pop culture, you can have a game or two that maybe don't perform so well, but all you got to do is kind of dust it off, you know, create a proper game um, and if it's good, the players will come. Um, yeah. No one's going to forget about, you know, um, Mortal Kombat. Um, and so I thought that just like anything else that lives in pop culture, whether it's Spider-Man or Batman or, you know, the Marvel properties, you know, you can do a shitty movie, um, but, you know, no one's going to give up on Spider-Man or Batman yeah. or, or any of those things. And I thought Mortal Kombat kind of, you know, I felt at the time that it, it can be one of those things where it just lives forever. Um uh, but you know, um, you know, because of that, I think it made it difficult to walk away from, um, but that's kind of, again, that's why we left, I think at that, at that particular moment. No, I appreciate you. appreciate the answer there, John, hundred percent. Um, so the game you worked on, I've, I, hopefully I'm going to pronounce it right. It's Tao Feng, uh, Fist of, Fist of the Lotus. I mean, right. I haven't, I haven't played it truthfully. I, I didn't yeah. have an Xbox back then, but mm. just reading about it, it does sound, it, it looks ambitious. It's. Yeah. you know damage effects interactive environments i mean that right. I, I again i like the idea of bringing new stuff to the table how exciting was it to work on that particular title so that's interesting so so when we formed our studio and started to go out and look for a, a you know a development deal um a fighting game was not our first choice mm. you know the the last thing we wanted to do was was get, get put in a position where the expectation was for us to replicate the success you know of mortal Kombat. um and, you know, me in particular, I thought, you know, um, Mortal Kombat is such a product of the right, you know, game at the right time, you know, mm -hmm. um, and um, I just didn't want to have the, you know, the pressure of the pressure on our studio to, you know, to, to have to replicate that success. But the one thing that we learned real quickly was everybody was only interested in working with us if it was a fighting game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so we got pigeonholed into doing a fighting game. And so Microsoft, you know, came knocking on our door with a development deal provided we would do a fighting game. And so, um, so we bit at that opportunity. Um, yeah. and so despite, 
you know, being fearful of the expectations, you know, we just sort of launched into, okay, well, if we're going to do a fighting game on one of these next generation systems, what can we do to help differentiate? Um, what can we do to help, um, you know, make the game unique in its own way? And so that's where sort of the, um, you know, the visual damage to the characters, the idea of, um, of you know, your player taking damage during the mm. course of a fight yep. and all those things. I, th- I, I, I think there may have been games that had done it in the past, but as far as I know at that particular time, you know, we hadn't done that in MK. Um, I don't even know that. Um, I guess maybe they had started working on, I don't remember the name of the first MK game. Was it Deadly Alliance maybe mm. was being worked on at the time? Um, so I don't know that, that that game had character damage. Maybe it did. But, um, but so that was sort of the inception of Tao Feng. I, you know, in hindsight, I think the fact that I themed it, you know, there was sort of these, you know, the Asian, you know, um, mystical qualities to the theme of the game, which is what we had done in Mortal Kombat. You know, obviously, you know, um, my history with, with, with that and my love for Kung Fu movies just sort of found its way into Tao Feng as well. Mm. Um, and so that's why, you know, and, and the one thing I wish I will say about Tao Feng is, um, you know, the game, I think, suffered uh, mainly because of the mechanics of play weren't quite where they needed to be. Mm. And, you know, one thing about games, especially something like a fighting game where, you know, the mechanics are so crucial to it. Um, you know, if you if you misfire, you know, at, at any portion of, of, of that side of the game, the rest of it sort of doesn't matter. You know, the audio quality, the the fiction of the game, the visual quality, none of that stuff matters if the, you know, the play mechanics aren't there. Yeah. And I think that's, that's where, you know, Tao Feng slipped up was, um, you know, we could have used, you know, a few more months of, of testing of, of, of playing and, 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 and tuning up in terms of the, 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 the quality of the, the, you know, the core mechanics of the game. And, um, um, so we probably released it a little bit earlier than we should have. Um, but, um, but it was a lot of fun working on that game. Um, you know, we built our studio. Um, I worked with, a, there were a lot of talented people who came out of that studio who are still in the industry today, mm-hmm. um, working on huge, you know, games. Um, and, um, when I look back at that collection of people, um, you know, it was a good group of people and we made a lot of friends and, and, um, and uh, a lot of people sort of cut their teeth in the industry on, on that game. So, um, so I have, so despite, I think the, um, and the game actually performed decently for us, mm. but, um, you know, but, but I think, you know, despite not being able to replicate, obviously the success of Mortal Kombat, I think, you know, when I look back at that game for me, at least it was a fairly positive experience. Yeah. Great. Actually, you said you didn't really want to do a, beat, a fighting game. What, what were your games that you were desperate? Was it, was, was it back on the sort of Star Wars game or was there a, no, a genre you were desperate to get into? We were thinking about maybe a racing game, mm. you know, I mean, we were honestly, it was just sort of, we were just beating around, um, you know, a bunch of different ideas. Um, and it was more about, you know, we had been talking to a few different publishers and they had ideas for the types of things they wanted, but it always kept finding itself yeah. back to a fighting game. Um, but you know, for some reason I remember a racing game being one of them. Oh, great um, stuff. Yeah. But we never really got, you know, very far with, with the concepts of those things. Mm. Um, did did you ever start work on that Star Wars game? Because there's there is rumors that uh, on the internet that you did you started work on a bit. Is it was it literally just uh, ideas? No. So it's coincidentally when I was with so when I was with Studio Higante and we were working mm-hmm. on Tao Feng, um, there was a period of time where um, we were um, doing putting together game proposals, and one of them 
one of the um, um, one of the concepts we put together was a Star Wars fighting game mm. um, that we had proposed to um, to um, Lucas Arts, and we created a um, a prototype using um, the engine. We had done a wrestling game. Um, mm was one of the products that we had produced and using that engine, which I thought was a fantastic engine in terms of the, the, um, our ability to do graphics and animation. We used that engine to create, um, a prototype for a star Wars game that I think that's what you're probably referring to. Yeah. yeah someone put, yeah, someone put a video on the internet, um, about it. Um, and, um, yeah, so there was, I think we did a prototype and it was Anakin fighting Darth Maul, maybe, Brilliant. um, yeah, and it, it actually, I thought at the time, looked great. Um, and uh, the funny thing was we proposed that to Lucas Arts, And so they were hemming and hawing about whether they wanted to pursue it. Um, and unfortunately, we had closed our studio. <laughs> and then after that, they had come back to us and said, hey, you know, remember that prototype you guys put together? Oh. We might want to pursue that. And we were like, <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, man. We've moved on. <laughs> That's but, a shame, um, John, because I think that would have been a great game. <laughs> I'd yeah, have to check out the video. It looked cool. Yeah, who knows what it would have turned out like. And, you know, it's funny because the, um, that, that particular prototype, we had reskinned. We reskinned as a Kill Bill game mm. um, uh, that I thought looked pretty cool. Um, and so I don't know if anybody's got I, – I, I certainly don't have any – old videos of, of that but um but that actually looked pretty cool too we had done um rather than um anakin skywalker or darth maul it was um uma thurman's character <laughs> um fighting the crazy 88s you know in that environment oh, that sounds amazing um, yeah oh it looked it looked incredible um but <laughs> uh, that one ended up not happening either ah oh, such a shame um yeah i'd love to know you still john are you still in the uh, video game industry and if so what sort of projects and games are you currently involved in i am so um so, um, several years ago, um, I started working for Zynga and Zynga, um, at that time they produced a lot of Facebook games, um, they were trying to find their way into mobile at the time. And so for me, um, you know, I had worked on console product for a lot of years. And then prior to that, you know, I had worked on, um, you know, arcade games for a lot of years. And so, um, that was, you know, when I got involved at Zynga, that was sort of the beginning of mobile games. Um, yeah. And um, and so um, Mark Termel, who I had worked with, you know, on Smash TV all those years ago, um, st- started working at um, Zynga's San Diego studio. And so he had called me and was trying to get me interested in, in coming out and joining him at the San Diego studio. And what interested me um, about it was I knew nothing about mobile game development. I knew nothing about social gaming. Um, but, um, you know, one thing I knew was that, um, it seemed to sort of open the door to a sort of a new class of players. Um, you know, um, my mom was playing video games now and my Mm. sister and, you know, all these other people who never touched a video game were now attracted to games. And so for me, it was, um, what attracted me to join Zynga was just the idea of exploring, what is social gaming? What is mobile gaming? How, you know, how, why are all of a sudden people who never thought about playing games, why are they playing games? Yeah. Um, and so, so when I joined Zynga, it was more, um, I thought, Hey, this is a great place to learn about this. And so, um, and so, yeah, I was involved at, you know, um, you know, with social and mobile gaming for several years at Zynga. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, learned a lot about mobile games and social games and, you know, um, 
you know, when you look at the industry in general, um, you know, the mobile game industry is, is massive and um, the demographics have changed so wildly, mm. you know, with the, with the introduction of mobile gaming. Whereas, you know, we're so focused on console gaming and, and, you know, the male demographic and, and console gaming is still in a lot of respects, um, you know, still stuck in that, you know, mm. living in that world. Whereas mobile games, you know, you have to um, address this whole other audience, um, and so for me, it was an interesting transition and there were, um, and there are similarities, um, between mobile gaming and, you know, the arcade game market that we used to work in Yeah. only in that, um, you know, the player's interaction with the game is done on a micro level, you know, like back in the arcade days, it was a quarter at a time mm. and, you know, and mobile gaming, especially the free to play market, it really is, it's very similar in terms of how you, um, you know, how you work with the player, how you get the player interested and in, in how you get them to keep playing. And um, it's funny because there's, I think folks who come from the console industry look at the mobile game business, especially the free-to-play side in a negative light, you know. Mm. Um, but there's, there's a lot similar, uh, a lot of similarities to what we do in mobile games, you know, when you compare it to what we had done in the arcade games. Mm. You know, the, 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 the um, you know, the, um, the choices you make are, as a developer and a designer are, are very similar. Um, and so, um, um, so that's the cool thing about working, I think in mobile is that, you know, we're solving a lot of those same problems um, yeah. that, that we had in the, you know, way back in the arcade days. Um, Love. Okay. Yeah. Great but, answer. Yeah. Yeah. So I was at Zynga for several years. I left Zynga, um, several months back, um, started, um, uh, a new company, um, uh, with a fellow by the name of Paul Stapley, who's an, an old in- industry vet. And so we're just sort of in the middle of raising funding and, and developing an engine and, and um, you know, finding, um, you know, finding publishers to work with and doing all those things. So we're, like I say, kind of smack in the middle of that. Oh, brilliant. Well, bre- oh, it's been a real pleasure, John, talking to you today, especially because I know you're so busy. Um, just a couple really quick questions and I'll, I'll let sure. you get back to work. Um, if you found yourself inside Mortal Kombat Universe in a crazy situation, if you could choose a fighter to work alongside you or protect you even, who would you choose? Who would you put the most trust in out of any Mortal Kombat character? Sheesh. Uh, <laughs> Luke Kang. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Luke Kang, the original one, because he's, you know, he's like a true hero. He would make, the, he would make good choices. You know, he, would, uh, he wouldn't stab you in the back. Yeah. <laughs> so, Great answer. Yeah. <laughs> And a bit of a, I ask this question to all my guests, and it's a bit of a crazy one, but if you could share a few drinks with any video game character in, in any game, who would you choose and why? A drink? I don't know. Maybe Mario? Good, yeah. I think yeah, only because it would be fun to see him drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> he might say some things that he would never say if he were not drunk, so. Yeah, that's Thank a brilliant. You. No, no, I'll join you there 100% with that drink. Yeah. Look, John, it's been a real pleasure, and um, I love hearing the stories. And Mortal Kombat is, you know, it's a real favourite of ours. And just taking the time to talk to us, it actually does mean so much to us. So thank you so much. Great, yeah, thank you, and and um, thanks for. Um, I love arcade games, and I love folks who 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 um, live on in terms of or who help that you know the old industry kind of live on in, in terms of nostalgia and stuff. And I think you guys do a great job at that. So it's oh, you're, you're a real gentleman. A lot of fun. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch regarding this week's episode or anything else, you can tweet us at ArcadeAttackUK, at KeithBarlow82, and at Arcade underscore Adriano. 
We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash arcadeattackuk. Please check out our website at arcadeattack.co.uk for lots of retro gaming goodness, interviews, reviews, features, top tens, etc. And you can also find all our previous podcasts there. Our podcasts are available to stream from the website and are available to download for free from Stitcher, Podbean and iTunes, where you can also leave us a review and a rating, which we would really, really appreciate. So until next time, take care and we'll speak to you soon.